Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. I am Peter Englert, uh, one of the co-hosts here. I'm with my illustrious and uh, feisty today co-host, Aaron Mercer. We'll find out more. (laughs) And we are with our ever-flexible and awesome producer, Nathan Yoder. Uh, We are brought to you by Browncroft Community Church. The main reason we exist is to respond to the questions you don't feel comfortable asking in church. Today, we have a very good friend. He, this is his second time he's joined in the club, Brian Lee. Brian is an expert on the Enneagram, creativity. I'm just gonna throw in their productivity too. So I used to work with Brian at Valley Forge. Yeah, why not? So, um, why not? That's a pretty cool club to have of uh, two-time guests here. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, man. That's, I feel like we should have a special mug or something for Ooh. I don't know, or a button. Or... Can I talk? As long to... as it comes filled with coffee. <laughs> yeah. Well... <laughs> there you go. The communications director holds my budget. So, anyways, <laughs> um, anyways, we are here to talk about the Enneagram. We're in a series about goals for the new year, and so we thought, hey, why not talk about Enneagram goals for the new year? Without further ado, Aaron, do you have any thoughts before we jump into this episode? Well, it's uh, great to have Brian uh, on here. We really appreciate having you on the show. And um, Brian, it's great to see you again. I think I'm a little, I think Peter just described me as feisty, which is kind of an interesting way to start off the episode here. <laughs> I don't know what to do with it exactly, but you know, um, I guess uh, I guess it's good, especially when this is dropping in the new year, it's we can get fired up. I think I'm also a little feisty, I think, because you know, Peter knows that I'm I'm not exactly sure what Enneagram I am, and I feel like I'm hearing Enneagram code words all over the place, but that's why this episode is going to be fun. So, But I, I do think that there's probably other people out there who think the same way as me, so hopefully they will appreciate totally. this just like I will. So if you're a skeptic, stick with us, because you'll probably end up liking Aaron more than me. <laughs> I, did say, I didn't say I was a skeptic, <laughs> but I am a skeptic. So, <laughs> so now I said it. <laughs> well, we've done enough talking. Brian, uh, we had you here, I want to say, like a year, probably two years ago. Give us an update. What are you doing? What are you up to? Why do you love the Enneagram so much? Sure. So I looked it up just to find out because I, I was doing the same thing you were doing. I was like, yeah, I think it was about a year ago. It was actually November 2019. So it was more than two years wow. ago, which is kind of crazy. Um, a lot has changed for me since then. I don't know if you had heard, but there was a global pandemic. Uh, apparently shut the world down. Um, when we originally talked, the Enneagram was just a point and topic of interest for me. Um, I've been pastoring for over 23 years now, I think. Um, so that's really kind of my main vocation. Um, and after our podcast, I went and pursued my certification, completed that in February of 2020, and then started my own business in March of 2020. Wow. Um, so now I own and run Gospel-Centered Enneagram. And then along with everybody else, uh, survived and I'm trying to make it through the rest of the pandemic. I actually left my position at my church in June of this year, um, and am working with the Enneagram full time now. So now that is my thing. Well, you know, we're not going to bury the lead. So to our (laughs) listeners, um, we've talked to Aaron about getting his Enneagram number so I actually, <laughs> I actually put him and Brian to go through a little session. So why don't you two go back and forth? I'm going to have Aaron jump in and then Brian. Sure. So 
Aaron, talk about your experience of trying to figure out the Enneagram number, and then uh, we'll, we'll look for uh, Brian to jump in. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, I... Uh, First of all, Brian, I really am glad you're on here, and that's really that's really cool to hear about. Um, I didn't realize that was part of your history here, um, and and uh, starting a business in March of 2020. That is a that must have been an interesting ride there to start. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think uh, this is it's a really interesting topic. I mean, I've been hearing about the Enneagram um, quite a bit. I hear about it from friends. I hear about it from family people who uh you know want who who have been exploring what what sort of personality enneagram that they may have and then i don't really think you're supposed to do this but you know then people sometimes want to figure out what what enneagram other people are too to see how you you relate mm -hmm. together i'll let brian take that from there but yeah i mean it's come up a number of times so i was like okay let's let's explore that you know i've i've taken other personality tests over the years um and uh yeah, I I would love to uh you know, I think it'd be kind of nice actually maybe to back up for people like me who don't really know what enneagram they are. Don't really know a lot about the enneagram. I think sometimes it's become such a popular subject that there's there is a presupposition that maybe people already know what it is. Um I don't know, Brian, could you could you kind of give a quick overview of, you know, what how do you understand the Enneagram? What's kind of the framework for it? Um, and I think that could help inform more of our conversation here. He just tried to bypass. Sure we're, not gonna, we're not going to let him off the hook. But I, I'm ahead. not trying to get around. We're, we're going to get there. We're setting the stage. <laughs> we're setting the stage. We're setting the table before we can have our meal. Um, I appreciate <laughs> your I skepticism. I really enjoyed our time together. Um, and we really bounced around and again, not burying the lead. We actually didn't land somewhere and that's really okay. Um, and there are so many people out there who don't land on a type right away. Some people take weeks, months, or even years. Um, and then some people mistype and think they are the wrong type for a long time. Um, but for me, the Enneagram has become transformational because the way that it reveals the false stories that we often tell ourselves mm. and who we think we're supposed to be in this world to survive. Um, they kind of uncovered these unconscious motivations, behaviors, patterns, habits that we do over and over again, thinking that this is what we need to be accepted, loved to survive all these pieces. Um, and it's a powerful and really transformative tool. And for me, it's Ephesians four, right? It helps us to see our old self, that Paul talks about so that we can take it off and put on the new self that's actually created in Christ. Um, and you hear a lot about the Enneagram. It's become a buzzword. It's become a hot topic, especially in evangelical churches, both for people who are for and against it. Um, the No one really knows where it came from. It's an ancient system. Um, Todd Wilson, I think, wrote a really great book called The Enneagram Goes to Church um, that kind of takes on a lot of those topics um, along with several other people. Um, and for me, in my experience in church ministry for over 20 years, almost all of the issues I've had with people are because of differences in personality. You know, I spoke in a class at Valley Forge at our uh, alma mater yesterday, and one of the questions the students was asking was like, what do you do when there's a sin issue or an issue with someone on your team and how do you address it, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, you know, honestly, in my experience, maybe five to 10% of the issues I've seen have been sin driven. 
the majority of the time, it's just because we see things differently mm. or because we are just different people. Um, and I have personally gone through my own fair share of hurt and trauma. Um, I saw how often it was the result of leaders who are either unaware of or ignorant of their effect on other people mm. and how their blind spots create these this wake of destruction or damage behind them, right? So I made this promise to myself. I was like, I am going to learn as much as I can about myself so I don't become that kind of leader and destroy people in my path. Because as soon as I discovered my type, I was like, I was just wrecked. <laughs> I was like, holy cow, I can see how I've really ruined people around me because I didn't realize what I was doing to them and the way I was approaching them. So when we become aware of how we function and why we function, and learn how other people function differently and then recognize that our differences are a gift to each other, right? Because we are part of the body of Christ and we are supposed to be different and we all fit together. No one is more important or less important than the other. We can't say, I don't need you. Um, then we start to make that kind of progress. And for me, of all the assessments and personality things that I've taken, and I've taken a lot, this has been the most useful mm. and immediately practical thing. Um, and it's predictable, right? It, it kind of tells me, oh, because this is the way I think about things or feel about things or have a gut reaction to things, I know that I'm going to react this way. And now that I know that, I can stop and pause and choose a different response instead. Mm. So you wouldn't say there's a good Enneagram number and a bad Enneagram number or a best? Well, the best Enneagram number is one because that's what I am. <laughs> the rest are okay. Um, no, there is no good. There is no bad. They're just different. And different. It, and for me to say that is really hard because different to me used to be bad. And for me, I am extremely critical. I am extremely judgmental. And I used to think if you don't think the way I do, you're probably just stupid or lazy. Mm. I mean, that's just the honest truth of the way I used to think. Um, and learning this has showed me <laughs> so much um, about how incorrect that kind of thinking is and how harmful that kind of thinking is, right? Um, and with the Enneagram, because of its popularity, so many people use it either as a parlor trick or as they kind of weaponize it, right, against each other. And the thing that the Enneagram should never become is just something to talk about or something that becomes exclusive or leaves people out. It should be inclusive, it should draw people in, and there's a way to talk about it without having to talk about it. You know what I mean? You, you can use the language of understanding without having to get technical and use terms like that. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Yeah, let me, <clears throat> before we get into Aaron kind of talking about the typing experience, you know, Brian, I was thinking about yours and my relationship, and uh, you know, we can always edit this out, so, Brian, uh, uh -oh, this, is, this could get interesting. So Brian used to work at Valley Forge. I used to work at Valley Forge. He was a graphic designer. I was an admissions counselor. I identify as an Enneagram two, sometimes called the helper, the giver. Um, I'm very relational. Um, and there's more nuance to that. But I remember like I would just pop into Brian's office and be like, hey, how you doing? And Brian kind of, it was written on his forehead like, um, I'm working, please leave. And I'd stay there for like three minutes and I'd sit there and be like, Brian must be so angry at me. Cause I just think everybody <laughs> wants, everybody wants someone to walk over and say hello to them and be joyful and right. happy, you know? And like when Brian and I reconnected, you know, and we've stayed in touch throughout the years, 
But like, I think about how helpful that would have been. Not everybody wants you to stop by their office and say hello. Like some people, you know, again, you can give your side of it, but like that self-awareness of knowing someone else's number, not to put them in a box, but even to communicate and be aware and even just kind of know your thing. Like one of the mantras I've had to get rid of as a Dineagram too, if you're okay, I'm okay. Like that has been mm. so injury prone in my life that learning how to be okay when things aren't okay is big. So I'll let you give your side of that Enneagram wise. You can kind of say, Peter, you were so annoying, but anyways. No, no, no. I appreciate that. Um, and you know, those years were probably some of the toughest for me, if I'm being completely honest, and they were so high stress, low return, um, just trying to find my way. Mm. It was, um, a lot of pressure, obviously. And you got, you know, how much transition there was happening at that time. Um, so trying, trying to kind of, you're, you're in sort of a survival mode really. So for me, it's the pressure of constant work and make sure this gets done and make sure we're turning these things in um, with high accountability and kind of, it felt like low reward or low recognition. Not that that's what you do it for, but it sure is nice, right? Mm. Um, and for me as a type one, which is very perfectionistic, very critical, very you know, detail oriented and kind of systems and process oriented, anything that would interrupt that flow for me would just completely throw me off. Right. Um, and so if I knew that there was something coming down the pike that was going to interrupt what I was doing for whatever reason, <laughs> then it was probably going to set me off. <laughs> and for me, that looks like probably what it came, what it felt like to you was just, hey, I'm just not going to engage with anybody right now. I'm shut down. I'm in my zone. Please leave me alone. Um, and so, number one, I'm sorry, because <laughs> it probably wasn't very nice to be around. Um, and I see even in the way that I dealt with my work study students and my coworkers, it was just so cold and cut off and not relational because I felt like I was just in survival mode, you know? Um, and when I look back at those times and the critiques I used to give or feedback I would give on projects they were turning into me, um, I don't know if you know Caleb Weidman. Yeah. He runs Black Bar with two other guys from the school. And, and he was one of my students when I was there and my work study. And he remembers I would tell him, <laughs> he's like, every pixel has to be perfect. Give it a purpose and know why it's there and all these things. And I was like, yeah, that, that sounds like me. And I'm sorry. And I was right. <laughs> and there's room. And the biggest lesson I think I've learned, though, is that there's room for grace. There's room for compassion, but I didn't know how to extend that to anyone else until I learned how to receive it for myself. Hmm. Well, and let me just apologize too, because if I would have known what I was doing, I'm sorry for that. Like, and I don't bring, I bring that up more because it's a beautiful illustration of what happens all the time um, in yeah. relationships and work. Like, you know, I could hear some of our listeners like, Peter, you don't need to stop by my office like once a week unannounced. <laughs> and then there's other people that are like, well, what's the big deal? And again, even what you said with the Enneagram, like it's not one number's better or worse, but it's how do we relate to each other in a way that we can yeah. give grace to each other. So I didn't bring yep. it up to get an apology. <laughs> I apologize. And Aaron, so. I, no, 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 it's I, all good. I think, look, I think like we already accomplished the goal of this episode. You 
Enneagram goals. You guys already accomplished a goal of rec- a reconciliation here. I don't know. It's pretty awesome. I think we were reconciled. No, I think no, so, no, 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 no. I we're, think so, too. I think we've reconciled. I think let's turn our attention to Aaron. Yes, That's what I'm go. talking about. <laughs> I know. I'm the meat uh, on the table here. I got it. Um, no, well, actually, so I do. I'm not trying to stall for time, but I do. You I are. do. I do. <laughs> no, no. This is for real. So, again, as the guy who doesn't know a lot about Enneagram, and I'm, I'm assuming there are listeners who are like me, um, I was wondering, uh, Brian, could, would you mind just kind of, you know, I've heard some other um, podcasts. I heard this this podcast, but also I've heard other things where, you know, people talk about the Enneagram and there's, you know, one, two, I'm a one, I'm a two, I'm a three, whatever. Um, but I think that that sometimes feels like, you know, you need code word clearance to get into these conversations. Right. Um, can you Can you sort of explain to someone like me um, who might not know a lot about it, what does that mean for what is one, two, three? What are those what are those categories? Maybe what's a short description of you know, a very short description of uh, the basics of each one of those numbers? Yeah, sure. That's great. So the Enneagram is an ancient system that basically says that there are nine false stories that we tell ourselves about who we are and who we have to be. Um, and it's it's a lot, it has a lot to do with our self-awareness. And so many of us are just not aware, right? We just kind of float through life or cruise through life on autopilot without consciously taking actions or making decisions for ourselves. Um, and each of these nine types, there are nine types, they each do this thing that in life they thought they had to do to survive mm-hmm. and to make their way and to receive love and get acceptance and affirmation. And as they grow up, what helped them to survive ultimately becomes their biggest hindrance and their biggest downfall, right? Look, what what got you here won't get you there. Um, so the type ones are often known as the improvers. They're motivated by a need to be right and good, and they just want to make everything genuinely better. They have the best intent at heart, but often it comes across as critical and judgmental and perfectionistic, right? So at their best, they reflect the goodness and perfection of God in the world. At their worst, they come across as hypercritical and judgmental and perfectionistic. The twos are often called the befrienders, the helpers. Uh, This is Peter, right? They're motivated by a need to be needed and loved. And they're ready, they're always ready to jump in and help and listen. And it's a beautiful thing because they reflect the love of God and his selfless giving. At their worst, though, they can become manipulative because they're manipulating you to get affirmation or they can become codependent. I need you to need me, so I'm going to help you even more, right? Mm. The threes are known as our achievers. They're motivated by a need not to be successful, but to appear successful. Um, And they just get the job done. They probably do more (laughs) than anyone else on the Enneagram. Um, Their task list and the way they fly through it, their level of energy is just beyond comprehension to me. At their best, they reflect the glory of God. At their worst, however, they can become really narcissistic or they can lose their identity. They often become the human doings rather than human beings. Mm. Their their identity is often wrapped up in the job that they do, not in who they actually are. The fours, I like to call the originals. They're the individualists, they're the romantics. They're motivated by a need to be authentic and understood. They can spot a fake a mile away. And the gift is that they just see the beauty in absolutely everything. Like the most mundane, normal thing thing to the rest of us is an object of beauty to them. And they reflect God's depth and his creativity. At their worst, 
they go swimming in their emotions and they get lost and they just feel like they don't belong anywhere. Our type fives are often called the observers. They're motivated by a need to be competent and to gain understanding. They are our most objective thinkers and researchers, and they have a real need to conserve their energy and avoid relying on other people to meet their needs. At their best, they reflect God's wisdom, his insight, his omniscience, and at their worst, they completely withdraw and shut down from the world, and they live in a reality that they make up in their minds. Mm. Our sixes are known as the loyalist. They're motivated by a need to be secure. They are actually the most courageous and look out for the good of the group. Um, at their best, they reflect God's steadfastness, his loyalty, his faithfulness. At their worst, they can spiral out. And they often get typecast as worst case scenario thinkers. I like to say that they are just every case scenario thinkers. They just plan out every possible scenario. It's not just worst case, it's every case. They can become hyper vigilant or suspicious. Um, they can be prone to conspiracy theories and they really have a hard time trusting themselves and other people. Type sevens are called our enthusiasts. They're motivated by a need to be fully satisfied. They're just there's never enough. There are not enough options on the menu, not enough adventures to go on. Um, they are joyful, enthusiastic, optimistic. At their best, they reflect God's childlike joy and his delight in his creation. However, at their worst, they just jump from thing to thing to thing to thing, and they're always looking for an escape hatch to avoid their pain or avoid boredom, to avoid feeling limited, right? Mm. Type eight are known as our challengers, and they're motivated by a need to protect themselves. They stand for justice and they represent strength and power in the world. At their best, they reflect the power and intensity of God. At their worst, they become bulldozers or snowplows on a rampage that are just out of control and destroying everything in their path when they don't know how to harness and recognize their power and strength, right? And then last but not least, our nines are often known as peacemakers or accommodators they're motivated by a need to avoid conflict at all costs so they're really steady they're easygoing they bring peace and harmony to the world everyone loves a nine because they just go along to get along right nothing really bothers them they're like a duck the water just rolls off their back at their best they reflect god's desire for unity they just want us all to be one they want us to be together everyone get along at their worst they're constantly people-pleasing and merging with other people. And it's like, hey, what do you want to do? Oh, you know, whatever you want to do. But secretly, it's building up into this kind of resentment inside of them until they explode. And like, how come no one ever listens to me or does what I want to do? Um, but generally, that's kind of the there's – a, there's a good side. There's a bad side, right, mm. to all of us where we reflect what God is and who he is. And you hear how different all nine types are. And we need all nine types to see a full picture of God. Like we need each other. Otherwise, we're just kind of mischaracterizing who we think God is. All right, Aaron, you're on. What out of those nine types? What do you want to know? What were the types that kind of resonated as you and Brian <laughs> talked? Um, you know, I, I know I, when we when we talked, uh, w when I took the original test, um, I think if I remember correctly, what scored higher were two and five. But I think when you describe, you know, as we talked and as I've since then looked at some other things too, um, I feel like, 
you know, for me, six probably resonates more, but I, I don't know for sure. I feel like I'm, uh, you know, maybe, I, you know, I don't know. It's a mystery. A man of mystery, I guess. What, I don't know. But what, uh, Before we have Brian jump in with comedy, what resonates the most about six to you as a person? Um, I mean, that's a great question. I definitely think about a lot of, uh, I think a lot. I think a lot of scenarios. Um, but also, uh, you know, I... To me, you know, loyalty and things like that have always been very important. Um, so I don't know. There's, I think it's one of those things. I don't know if that's my type. And you know, again, I'm coming at this from, you know, trying to figure out <laughs> how how that how that uh, how do I how would I fit in a system like this, and how would a system like this actually be helpful for me to fit into? Like, what would that? How would that affect how I interact with you, Peter? For example, like, I don't know. Does it? If I want to get along better with Peter, should I say that I'm a six or a five or a two? I, mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> well, before we right. get into that question, Brian, you know, talk about your experience of like some of the stuff you talk about with Aaron and just, you know, just kind of where you're at with that. Sure. Yeah. No, we had some great conversations going back and forth uh, towards the end of the conversation. I did say that the two types that generally have the hardest time landing are six and nine. Mm hmm. Um, because generally everyone else, as soon as they hear it, it's a punch to the gun. You're like, oh, I don't want that to be me, but I know it is. Um, because sixes have a, have such a hard time trusting themselves, uh, they go back and forth a lot. And then because nines are so used to seeing everything from everyone else's point of view, they have a hard time recognizing their own. Um, so if you feel like six resonates, I would just try it on. It's like an outfit. Just try it on for size for a week or a month or whatever and see if it fits. You know what I mean? And that's generally what we tell people because what's different about the Enneagram than all these other assessments is no test can tell you who you are. You mm -hmm. have to confirm it for yourself. Um, you, It's really dangerous for us to go around typing other people, even though everyone does it, um, because you can mistakenly assign somebody an identity that they actually aren't and it can do some real damage um, for that person mm. depending on who they are and what kind of stage they are in life um, so i try to be really careful when i'm coaching is to not tell people what they are but i try to push them in directions to go search for themselves so what does it mean to try it on for a little while what is that i mean are you talking about that then that yeah. affects how you interact with other people or how you perceive what you're sure feeling thinking so for anyone who is unsure of what their type is, when I say to just try it on for a while, you're gonna have to do a little bit of reading and research, right? <laughs> to find out what that type is like. Um, read about it, live it out, see if you can do some self-observation over the next couple of days and weeks. It's like, hey, what do I notice about myself? And that's a really important tool to have is because we don't know what we don't know. Mm. Right. And once we start paying attention to things, I have different observational tools that I'll use. Uh, Marilyn Vansel, who I know you guys have had on here, uses the own up tool, which is really great. Uh, Beth and Jeff McCord from your Enneagram coach use an aware tool. And they all kind of do the same thing, just different ways. It's just, hey, as I observe myself, as I awaken to the habits and patterns in my life, what do I notice? And when I see it, where is it coming from? Mm. Right. And that's how you start to dig out the unconscious motivations that drive our behaviors to say, well, when I, because a lot of us do the same things, we just do them for completely different reasons based on those motivations. 
we might like a clean house or a clean desk, but we might like it because I need it to be neat and orderly and perfect, or I might need it because it gives me inner peace, or I might need it because it was helpful for someone. Whatever that reason is, we start uncovering those reasons. And then the more you start noticing, the more you recognize how often that thing happens for you. It's like, oh, this is, this is actually a habit. This is actually a pattern that I've never noticed before. So now I need to uncover where that's coming from. Mm. So I'll give an example. Um, oh, go ahead. Keep going. Mm-hmm. No, go ahead. So here's an example for me. Suzanne Stabile said this. Um, she said twos go on strike when they don't feel appreciated. And like when I get upset and angry, um, my wife will say, you must not feel appreciated right now. And there's certain relationships that, you know, if you're asked to do the extra thing, even if it makes a ton of sense, like I'll immediately push back on that. And so that's, that's kind of even trying to not like, I didn't want to be a two, you know, like I cringe every time I hear the word manipulation because I think sometimes people can think, well, does that mean Peter Minute? I don't think people try to do that. It just kind of happens. And I think every type has something like that. Mm-hmm. But owning that is, hey, when you're really frustrated, when you're really tired, um, is it because you feel unappreciated? And, you know, believe it or not, it took, I mean, I still right now, for me to say, I feel unappreciated is really hard because it's so outward focused. And that's kind of a way that, I kind of try it on that I'm like, yeah, that's me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. What were you What were you gonna say before you know I interrupted you over Riverside? Um, I don't remember, but I, it, it was just that idea of trying it on, and it's like Peter saying because every type and every number has a habitual behavior and pattern when they're not doing well. Mm-hmm. So if you notice yourself when you're not doing well, you can see what that looks like. And there are all those little lines that connect on the diagram, right, of the Enneagram. Tell us what we're about to do when we're (laughs) unhealthy or stressed out or not feeling appreciated. So if you notice what those behaviors look like, they usually don't actually look like your number. They look like somebody else's. Mm -hmm. So if you can recognize the patterns that you keep repeating and going to, see what looks like it connects the most to you. And that can usually help narrow things down, too. Have you found in your, you know, as you've been studying the Enneagram, as you've been um, working with people, uh, finding out what they're, uh, what they think that they are as they're typing themselves? Um, I mean, have you found? Do people feel like they're a blend of different numbers? Um, are there, or you mentioned that there are lines between the numbers? Maybe you can explain that a little mm-hmm. bit more. But um, you know, how much, uh, how much interplay is there between the numbers and a I don't want to say a typical person because there's no typical person, but, um, but what, you know, what do you, what have you found in that? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we all have bits and pieces of all nine types in us, and we're only going to identify dominantly with one type. That being said, we all have immediate access to five different numbers and types because you've got your main and dominant type. So for me, I'm a type one. And then on either side of my number, I've got a nine and a two, and those are my wings. So I borrow from those as I need them. And then I'm connected to four and seven. Um, so I pick up and use those types as resources as well, and and just as an instinct when I need it. Um, so even though you are one main type, the blend, as you say, is not that 
you bounce around from number to number, you always carry your core motivations, but you can draw off of at least four other numbers to make your way through life, basically. And the, the thing with the awareness piece is when you are unaware and before you ever learn the Enneagram, you're just doing all of this stuff instinctively, drawing hmm. from your wings, drawing from your resource numbers. People often call them stress or growth paths integration, disintegration. But when you learn the tool of the Enneagram, then you get to kind of flip a switch because as you become aware, you can choose to pick healthier aspects of all those numbers instead of just the instinctual unhealthy stuff. Mm. Yeah, what do you think, Peter? Well, so here's a question I'm gonna throw to you, Brian, because in, sure. in the process this came up with Aaron, um, <clears throat> I talked to everybody else about Aaron's type except for Aaron, and I never landed on a type. So I didn't, I felt like I followed the rule of you were, not. You were trying to type me? I wasn't trying to type oh, you. Oh, man. I just. Uh, Ryan, what it, do you have to say about hold that? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Stick with me. Stick with me. But, you know, one of the things I feel like is there is a line at some point where if you don't know your number, it's actually important to go to people that you trust that you love and just kind of asking, mm -hmm. hey, hey, does this number fit? Um, my mother-in-law at one point said, I, I don't think you're a two, I think you're a three, which actually was a really good conversation. Um, we don't have to go down that road and I can tell you why I think I lean more two. But you know, I, I think just as Aaron's kind of still in the middle of this, yes, we don't want people to type each other, but it is helpful to have conversations whether it's trying it on or these are a few numbers that I think, which one do you think resonates the most? How do you go about approaching that in a healthy way? You're saying for people who aren't sure of their type? Mm -hmm. um, I think like you're saying, you just allow it to be an open conversation that, that has room for curiosity and understanding rather than trying to push people towards a specific number or type. Mm -hmm. I think the more open-handed you can be with the process, because, and again, some types will have a harder time with this, me being one of them, because I'm so judgmental and I think I know everything, which I don't. Um, we can tend to push people towards, oh, no, I think you're really this number. I really think you're this number. And then depending on your personality or type, you're just going to go along with it because you think you're supposed to follow the rules. Or you're supposed to follow someone who says they're an authority, right? So. I have to be really careful about not doing that with other people. So when you are encountering someone who's unfamiliar with the Enneagram or who's not sure of how to land on their type, just ask curious questions, ask why questions, be open-handed with it and don't push them towards something, but kind of invite them into that process because no one wants to be pushed into something anyway, right? Mm -hmm. mm. uh, before we get to the goals for each type, um, how does this work in your marriage? Uh, for people that don't know, I grew up with Victoria. We were family <laughs> friends. So if Brian doesn't want to answer, like I said, we can edit this out. But how has this kind of helped your marriage and just even parenting? Yeah, no, it's helped us in a huge way. Um, so Victoria is a self-preservation three, which is a counter type of a three. So she doesn't present as a normal one, but she's much more, she's, she doesn't care about the spotlight. She doesn't care about recognition and achievement but she does want to get the job done and she does want to do it well. She does want to be appreciated for things. Um, I can't tell you how many circles we used to go around in, in our arguments because we were both just trying to be right about something. <laughs> right. Um, 
And how often is the fight that you're having not really the issue that's the issue anyway, <laughs> right? Um, uh, your Enneagram coach uses this tool they call the dance, which I just love. And it looks like an infinity loop. And based on my behaviors and motivations, when something triggers me, I'm gonna have this reaction. And now because I have this reaction, it's gonna play off on my wife in a certain way that's gonna trigger her motivations and she's gonna have a reaction. And then we're just gonna go around this loop over and over and over again. And the way to break out of that dance is to pause long enough to recognize, oh, hold on, I'm doing this because I have a need to be right right now. And maybe I'm not. So let me take a breath and ask a clarifying question that says, hey, when you said this, when you did this, what did you mean? Because this is what I heard and it's really setting me off right now, mm -hmm. right? Um, or for her, and now that we both know each other's types, we can stop long enough to be like, hold on, before you spiral out, is this the hill you wanna die on? <laughs> Do you need to be right about this? Or, hey, is this really a priority? Do you need to get this done right now? Or can you take a break? Mm. Um, so really in the last two, three years, and then especially with parenting, I mean, there are so many unconscious expectations we put on our kids because of our own personal type. And we pressure our kids to become something because of what we are driven by, mm -hmm. rather than allowing them to grow and develop as their own little people, which can be so hard for parents to do. Um, but for us to have that tool up front and to recognize, hey, he's gonna be different from us and that's okay and that's good. Mm. Mm. I won't bore you with the fact that Robin and I are both twos. We'll we'll touch that later. But anyways, <laughs> uh, we'll save that for another podcast when Aaron figures out. Um, so so Brian, let's do this. Um, you went through each type. Uh, you mm -hmm. get to be because you care about being right and integrity. This is a perfect role for you. <laughs> Give every Enneagram type a goal for 2022. Sure thing. Um, First, I want to affirm that I absolutely love goals. If we don't set any, we don't know what we're aiming for, right? And then consequently, we find ourselves cruising aimlessly through life on autopilot. That being said, we have all, all of us lived through two incredibly difficult and traumatic years, right? Pandemic, racial violence, tension, political divisiveness and extremism, spiritual reckoning in the church right now. So if your only goal for this year is to survive, you have done enough. Right? We don't need to set too many goals, but I'm still going to set some. And before we jump into any specific types, I think a great goal for any of us is just to grow more in our own self-awareness mm. and then therefore experience the gospel in a way that speaks to my motivation and answers my core longing. Mm. Right. Um, and then finally, my general goal has to do with the gospel, because if Jesus really came to rescue and reconcile us to God, then he's already done the work. So when you set the goal, keep in mind that the goal is not to keep trying so hard, not don't try harder, actually stop trying so hard because he's done the work for you. Mm. Um, and the goals I'm going to provide come from the healthy characteristics of each type when they go to their growth number. Mm. So for type ones, this year, see if you can loosen some of your standards. Try to be more spontaneous. Try to have more fun because life is fun and things don't have to be so hard and things don't have to be perfect every time. Type twos, learn to draw better and healthier boundaries for yourself and practice saying no more often. Mm. You don't have to help everybody. Type threes, as you go about the work of completing your to-do list, Consider what other people might have on their list 
and help them achieve it. Or examine how you might use your skills and your giftings to celebrate and lift up the whole team instead of just you. Type fours, see how often you can attune to the emotions of other people instead of yourself and move your feelings into some kind of action to help and serve the people around you. Mm. Type fives, challenge yourself to speak up and stand up for yourself. Recognize that you do have what it takes and find confidence in your competency. Type sixes, try to get out of your own head. Find peace in going with the flow and learn how to trust yourself. Type sevens, allow your mind to find rest and grounding and rooting. Focus on your inner world and see if you can find one topic to take a deep interest and a deep dive in instead of a million different things. Type eights, learn to recognize that your feelings and emotions are a good thing and then learn to recognize the feelings and emotions and needs of other people. And then create a safe space within yourself and for other people to see the tenderness and love that you really have. Mm. And then type nines, find ways to generate inertia and momentum for all those projects you've been avoiding and show up for the present moment by gracing other people with your full presence. Mm. Those are some great goals and hopefully they resonated. Let's um let's close with two questions. Um mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm actually gonna ask an air question for Aaron. Um so hey, I'm a skeptic. Don't type me, don't throw me in there, but there's a ton of people that have talked about the Enneagram. What would be healthy ways to approach them so that I could at least learn about their type and help me in a relationship even though I'm not settled on my type? Mm-hmm. Well, the Enneagram isn't everything, right? It's useful, but can, it can be a, a hindrance. So if you are resistant, I would just ask the question, why? Why am I so resistant to this? What is it that turns me off? Um, if someone that you trust or love really seems into it, ask them why. Why are you so into it, right? Um, and listen for why it seems so important to them. Because the more we work to hear each other and understand each other, the better off we'll be. And it's like we were saying with earlier with the typing, it's like, just approach it with curiosity and understanding and compassion. Let's just try not to be so quick to judge each other because I am or am not interested in it. Mm. Mm. How, how uh, uh, Peter wants to ask his second question, but let me just jump in. What, how You mentioned that the, you know, you, you shouldn't type other people. Um, you mentioned another risk could be um, the weaponization of the Enneagram. How, how have you seen mm-hmm. that in the past? I mean, we talked about a lot I'm of sorry, the good. We talked about a lot of the good ways you can use the enneagram in relationships. What are you? What What is your concern about? You use the word weaponization. I'm curious about that. Oh, okay. Um, Peter, can I use you as an example? You know, I was because about to say you know something. I love you and appreciate you. Go right ahead. So, for example, we know that Peter is a two, right? So, if I know that about his type, I can absolutely slice and dice and cut him down to pieces by saying. You're just helping because you need to be, you need to feel appreciated right now. And that's not helping me or Mm. Peter, you're being really manipulative. And what you did is wrong because you're just trying to build codependency with me and no one actually really needs you. 
right? So if I know what really gets to the core of him and I use it against him, I'm 100% weaponizing that. Oh, okay. Right? That's interesting. It may not necessarily be true of all the thi- of any of the things, but because that's how I'm perceiving it or because that's what I'm saying to him, it should never be used to cut people down. Mm. Um, w- you know, one of the ground rules that I set up is just don't use it as a sword. Like don't cut other people down because of their type. And then the second one that I say is don't use it as a shield. Once you know your type, don't hide behind it to excuse your bad behavior. Like if I know that I'm a one, I know I'm critical, I know I'm judgmental, I can't walk out anymore and just say, well, I can't help it, I'm just a one. Mm -hmm. The answer is, the truth is, I absolutely can help it. Mm, Right, that's that Maya Angelou quote is like, do what you can do, you know, once you know better, do better. Well, and let me just add- And that's the idea there. Let me just add, because Brian, I, I love that, like, what I get even from people that don't know the Enneagram is they're like, you're just too sensitive. And hmm, yeah. so so just take this with other numbers. Like, you know, uh, Brian, you're just a perfectionist. Or like, hmm. you know, a seven, like you're just all over the place. Or and And so we say these things, even if we don't know the Enneagram, and like, that's actually someone's gift too. So right. hey, hey, Brian, Uh, You know, if I come to you and say, and I don't even use Enneagram language, here's my plan. How can I improve it? Like that's using your gift. And, and even just, I I think of the leaders that mean the most to me when they say, Hey, we're thinking about this idea. How do you think this might settle, you know, with like, instead of being sensitive is something that's negative it's something that's helpful so i just wanted to add to that you can add extra thoughts but that's kind of even people that don't know that language when people say that that's a trigger word for me of like you know you're just not like me and you're sensitive and that's why it's this big deal no absolutely i i love that and have nothing to add to it (laughs) so the question we close with is um is what would Jesus say about this topic? Uh, Brian, we're going to have you on again, so you're going to join the three club. We're going to work on that. <laughs> <Nice>. So, <laughs> Yay. Uh, you know, Aaron, uh, what do you think Jesus has to say about this episode? <laughs> about this episode? I, um, oh, I hope that in all that we do, he's honored um, in the episode and otherwise. But no, I... I uh, no, I think it's a it's a, it's a a good episode. It's a good conversation for us to be talking through. Um, I think, you know, I don't know what to say about what does Jesus think about the Enneagram. Um, but I think that um, Jesus does care about who we are um, and whose we are. We're his, um, or he, he wants us to be his, and he wants us to uh, be fully the who we are. And, um, and, and part of that is there is a self-discovery process, and whether that's through um, something like the Enneagram, if that helps, if that's a helpful tool, or... Um, or other ways of, of um, introspection or whatever, I think that that's a, a good thing. Um, I, I really enjoyed in this, uh, you know, I, I think when you just said, Brian, at the end, that, you know, don't use it as a, don't use it as a weapon, first of all, use it to help each other. Don't use it as a sword. Um, and don't use it as a shield, too. Don't use it as an excuse. Like, I think that's really, really powerful um, to say that. And... Um, you know, I think because in in all of this, we we learn more about ourselves, but we can all learn. We can also learn about how um, how God can make us into the best versions of ourselves. He wants us to He wants us to be better than we even want us to us to be. And um, 
I know there's a lot of hope in that. So, mm. yeah. Before I answer the Jesus thing, um, I'm going to say this. This sounds weird. I don't know how else to say it, but I just want to say I'm proud of you. Like, I just think that what you've done with the Enneagram, like we had one phone conversation and like all of a sudden you just like went off on it. And I just think that that's awesome. And so I just, <laughs> I just want to affirm you. I don't know if I'm not older than you, but I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. I just, I just want all of our friends that listen to this podcast to hear that. So that's number one. But number two, um, you know, I'm going to go old school Christian. Like the Enneagram tells me how I sin and, you know, I sin with pride. And I think what Jesus says about this, and I think there's a general and specific is, you know, how do you take yourself off the throne of your heart and put Jesus mm. back on? And for me, you know, when I think about pride, there's overt and covert. So, you know, the overt pride is, as an Enneagram two is, you know, telling people everything that you're doing and doing it for wrong motivations. And then the covert pride is like what you said with the goals with boundaries is thinking that you can do everything and that everyone needs you. And I think about the new year and I think about, you know, just this old idea of sin. We don't talk about sin in Christianity so people feel judged. We talk about sin so people can experience freedom. And so mm -hmm. I think what Jesus would have to say is any tool that helps you experience freedom from the gospel, if it helps, then use it. And so I think where I'm landing in this episode is if 2020 and 2021 were super difficult years, be gracious. You know, I wonder if 2022 is the year of freedom, which involves a, a healthy amount of self-awareness. So that's where I'll close. Mm -hmm. I love it. Um, for me, I it took me a while to land on what my answer is, but I eventually landed on Luke 10, 27. It's the parable. It's just before Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? And he just says, you know, what's the way to the kingdom? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Um, he covers all the centers of intelligence there. Love God with everything that you are, with all of your feelings, all of your thoughts, all of your actions. And so many of us have no idea who we are, let alone mm. know how to love who we are. Um, and if I can muddy the waters with one non-Jesus quote, but he's the word, so all of it is him. Ephesians 5.2 in the message just simply says, God loves you and love like that. Mm. And so to the extent that God loves you and loves me, I am to extend that love and grace toward myself and then toward everybody else around me. And if we can get to a place like that, how different would our climate be and our culture be? Wow, what a place to close. Uh, Brian, uh, where can people find you? Yeah, thanks. Uh, they can find me at gospelcenteredenneagram.com. Um, and my Instagram handle is the same, just at gospelcenteredenneagram. And you can go through what Aaron went through and uh, get a typing session and stuff. Look it all up on the mm -hmm. site. Follow. Uh, Brian's got some great stuff out there. We are at whygodwhypodcast.com. The best way is to go to the website and subscribe to our email. Brian, thanks for having you on. Aaron, thanks for being a good sport today. Oh, it was, it was great. Thanks so much. Thank you. Have a great day.